Holy Spirit, I ask that you take something out of all the things that I'm going to put together in words and sentences and make it real and alive in some way that's unique, some way that's helpful, some way that's encouraging for each person here. Amen. You should have gone this week. You got plenty of time. Wow, maybe I'll add something. I need a story or something I'll have to put in here. Today, um, I'm starting some kind of a series. I'm not really sure what the series is or what it's going to end up being. Are you excited so far? I think it's going to be about the fundamentals of what we believe. I'm fairly certain I'm going to share some things with you that will maybe encourage you, maybe challenge you a little bit, maybe surprise you. And hopefully to get you to think just a little bit different about the basic things those of you who've maybe been in church for a long time have thought about. This might be of some interest to you or not. And if it's not, that's okay too. Just hang in there. I, I always stop at one, so won't be too long. Biblical Christianity is not designed for people who want to be comfortable. A lot of times, especially in a place like North America, Christianity is pretty comfortable. But biblical Christianity is not designed for people who want to be comfortable. So if you want to be a Christian and you want to be biblical, you are going to have times when you are not comfortable. Now, if you have any questions about that statement, read John 3 where Nicodemus came and he had a few questions about this whole God thing. Read through the disciples' encounters and how often they had questions about the whole idea of following Jesus. They were continually surprised. They were continually put out in a way that goes, wow, this is outside my comfort zone. Because biblical Christianity is not for those who want to be comfortable. If you're really comfortable... Look out, because either God's going to get hold of you or you're going to get left behind. Not left behind for forever, left behind in accomplishing all the things God wants to do in and through you. Because biblical Christianity is designed for people who want to be known for walking with God and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. That's what biblical Christianity is, and that's why it's so different and why, quite frankly, a lot of people don't want to read much about it. Because that takes effort. That takes being pushed beyond what we're comfortable. So any discussion when we're talking about fundamentals of Christianity has to include a conversation about the Bible. So if you look on the website after today, the title is going to be The Bible. Deep, huh? If you don't get anything else, here's what I want you to get from today. To effectively understand and apply the Bible in our life, we must be able to consistently hear God's voice. To effectively understand and apply the Bible in our life, we must be able to consistently hear God's voice. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. If you've been in church a while, you're familiar with this one. But we're going to start here. 2 Timothy 3, 
16 and 17. I used to be able to tell when people were there when the pages stopped making noise, and now I've got to look to see that your thumb has stopped moving. <laughs> These verses say this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Look at the first few words again. All Scripture is God-breathed, or most translations say, all Scripture is inspired by God. That phrase is a game-changer. The Bible's not just a good idea. It's not just a collection of interesting things to say. It's not some really amazing stories or really weird stories. The Bible says about itself, all of it is the Word of God. From Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, whatever the last verse is in Revelation 22. All of it is God's word. The Bible makes this claim about itself. It says, when you look at me, you are reading God's word. The Bible is not a recommendation. You might want to try this. No, that's not what the Bible gives you the option of doing. Because it says, all scripture is straight from God. The Bible is not a suggestion to say, try this and see if you like it. All of it is God's word. The Bible is not a pick what you like and forget the rest of the stuff because it doesn't fit my lifestyle. All of it is God's word. Like it or not, some we like, eternity with God, that's pretty cool. Some we don't like, be sure your sins will find you out. All of it is God's word. We get to approach the Bible in one of two ways. One is the Bible's a hoax and a joke. Because it makes the claim everything in it is God's word. If that isn't true, the whole thing's a joke. It's a waste of time. It might have a few things that are in it that are good. But if it's not real, if it's not really God's word, it's just another fantasy book. That's one way we can look at it. It's not real. The second way is that the Bible is exactly what it claims to be. God's inspired communication with every person without error and the final word on everything it speaks to. It's all written by God, whether we like what it says or not. We have those two options and there really is no middle ground. When the thing says everything in here is from God, then we got to go with that. Or we got to just throw it out as just another fantasy book. You can read the Star Wars trilogy and have just as much interesting stories. There is no middle ground because of the verse that says all Scripture is inspired by God. Everything in it is God. 
God's Word or an interesting but perhaps outdated and socially not particularly relevant book. And you get to pick. What we don't get to do is to say, I like this verse, I'm going to keep it. I don't like what this verse tells me to do, I'm not going to keep it. All or nothing. And way too often, as people in a comfortable Christian environment like North America is, at least compared to the rest of the world, we go, I like this, but this over here, this is my favorite thing to do. I really want to do this. I know what the Bible says, but I don't really want to apply that here. You with me? This has to be our starting place for talking about anything related to God and the Bible. It's all God's word or it's nothing, and we aren't going to even refer to it particularly. So what are you going to do? Hello? If you're not listening, tune in for just a second. What are you going to do with that phrase out of 2 Timothy three sixteen that says, all scripture is inspired by God? The quality of your Christian life depends on it. In case you hadn't figured it out, anytime I teach, anytime I talk about it, I chose the second one. It's all God. I don't understand a whack of it. I'm still trying to figure out how to apply it. But it's all God, and it's my life journey to discover what God's revealing about who he is and what he wants to do with every one of us. It's part of my journey, but it's all God. That's the starting place to go, what on earth do you mean when you said that, God? I have lots of questions. And when I don't know the answer, I come back to, Jesus loves me, this I know. I'm loved by Jesus, and I can't figure out a lot of these things. I'm still working on them, but because it's God's word... It's all true. Even the stuff I can't figure out, even the stuff I don't like. You say, well, how can you not like it? Well, how about this one? How often should you forgive? 70 times 7. How many are enjoy, really enjoy hearing you've got to forgive somebody at least 490 times? Now, are you not raising your hands because you're shy and really, you know, Feeling good about yourself? Yeah, of course you are. That doesn't matter. 4,900 times we'll do it. And yeah, I, I get tired after about three. This, this 49 times or 490 times, that, that's, that's a push for me. But I believe it's all God. Because the option is to say this isn't true at all. It's just a collection of stories. So even when I'm pressed, even when I don't understand, places I like, the places I don't like, it's all God's word. And that's our starting place for talking about everything else. To effectively understand and apply the Bible in our life, we must be able to consistently hear God's voice. Hebrews 4.12 just down the page from Timothy. Can't say page. Go a little further right. A little further down on your screen. A little further down after, after Timothy is Hebrews. 
4, verse 12. If you've been in church a while, you've heard this one too. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Again, look at the first couple of words. The word of God is living and active. The Bible makes this remarkable claim about itself that it is not a history book. It's not just something written back then about how interesting it was that people did all this stuff. It says that right now, the entire word of God is living and active. And it interacts with your life and it challenges you and it points things out you don't want pointed out. And it encourages you to think and dream and believe beyond anything you could ever think would happen to you. It's living and active. I sometimes kind of cringe to even, and, and personally have tried real hard to not even use the title of Bible study. Because we tend to think of study as we're going to learn something so we can take a test and move on. Not necessarily that it would actually change what we do. You go to school, the most fun thing is the practicum. When we actually do something with what we learned. Jeannie's learning how to be a nurse. Well, the most fun thing for her, I don't even know if she's here. To, I, oh, okay. I, go, I should at least have let her know I was going to pick on her, but I didn't know I was going to do that till right now. She goes and learns all these medical things and talks about all this stuff and has to take tests to, to answer questions with, you know, like 11-syllable words and all this kind of stuff. But the fun stuff is, she goes, I got to go in and help somebody. The word is living and active. The Bible was never intended to be a scholarly document only. That it was a thing we learned about and then went on from. The Bible was never intended to be mastered because it's living and active. If it was good for you five years ago, it's going to be different and good for you now unless you haven't done anything and you're still in the same place. And then God's going to be saying the same thing to you. And you're going, why are you keep saying the same thing, God? He goes, well, you haven't got it yet. We can't move on to calculus if you can't multiply. The Bible is not just inspired writing. It's a living, dynamic document that can interact with how we live, the way we live. The Bible is a life application communication. I thought that was a clever writing thing because it kind of rhymed and all that stuff. But anyway, it speaks to our current life, our current state, the things we're doing right now. And if it doesn't, we haven't actually figured out how to read the Bible. The Bible, understood the way God designed it, is the most relevant document you can read ever because it immediately is applied to where we're at. And if it doesn't apply to where we're at, 
I want to suggest there's a different way to read the Bible. There's more that God wants to do than just go, I put in my five, what is it, five Psalms and one proverb and one chapter in the New Testament or, you know, whatever reading plan you happen to be using. It's way more than that. And it becomes more as we begin to interact with the Bible. Now, there's some things in the Bible that are right all the time. The Bible always says that we are to, what did I, which one did I pick? Oh, be thankful. We are always to be thankful. There's never a time in the Bible when God says, don't be thankful. So we can know with confidence, build a lifestyle around being thankful having gratitude, giving thanks, because God says all the time, be thankful. So that one's pretty easy, right? There are some things that are always wrong in the Bible. Lying is always wrong. You cannot find a place in the Bible where God says, you know what, this time you can lie and it's okay. He never says that. It's always wrong. So that one's pretty easy. So there's some things in the Bible, they're always right or they're always wrong. But somebody's got to be sitting here thinking, sometimes it goes both ways. And that's right too. Sometimes something is right, sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes it's right for one person and it's wrong for another person. So what are we going to do with that? Well, first of all, context really matters. The word context just tells us, look at what's going on around it, not just the single verse. One of the things we've done in Christianity, particularly in North America, but I suppose probably everywhere, is that we get one verse and we love our one little verse and we don't read anything around what's going on that verse. We just go, this verse is just really, really awesome and I'm going to take it with you. But then we read about all the stuff going on around it and we go, wait, that's not really what it's saying. It makes a difference in how we understand it. And for the things where sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not so good, we need context to get understanding of it. For instance, don't, don't turn here, you can look at it later. In Luke 18, Jesus tells this account of a young man who came to him and he was w- really wealthy. He said, what do I got to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you got to, you know, read and all that kind of stuff. And he goes, I did all those things. This is awesome. Oh, Jesus says, oh, by the way, one more thing. Sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Okay, if you read that verse on its own, why the heck do you have any money in your bank account? Because the only way to get eternal life through that verse is sell everything you've got and give it to the poor. Yeah? That's what it says. Has anybody here... Sold all your stuff and given to the poor? Why on earth do you think you're going to get eternal life? Because the book says that's what you got to do. And that's why context matters. Because there's a plenty of other things in the Bible that says be good stewards. There's actually more about being a good steward of what you have than it is selling and giving away everything to the poor. 
So which do you do? Are you going to be somebody who sells all your stuff because that's what that story says? Or are you going to be somebody that stewards all of your stuff or even multiplies your stuff because it says it somewhere else? So what are you going to do? How do you know which story to pick, which truth to apply? The woman at the well never sold all what she had. Zacchaeus didn't sell all what he had. He made a choice to give some away, but he still kept a whack of money and he was wealthy. But the rich young ruler was told, sell it all. What are you going to do? The reason why this works is because a one size doesn't fit all. The word of God is living and active. That God interacts with you to speak into your place in your life with the things that you're dealing with. And it may well be very different than the things I'm dealing with. He may say something to you that would be contrary to what I would feel like God is saying to me. So what do we do when the Bible, the inspired word of God, gives differing or even contrary opinions? And we've got to get this settled because if we're going to use the Bible as the basis for how we develop our Christian life and the understanding of even the fundamentals, if we don't know what to do with the book, the owner's manual, the thing that says, here's how you operate life, if we don't know what to do with that, we're going to have a really difficult time with anything else. We end up picking and choosing, I like this verse, I don't like that verse, I don't want that one, but I'm going to keep this one. And then we wonder, why doesn't my Christian life work? House divided against itself can't stand. If you're arguing against the counsel of God written for all eternity, you're going to have a problem. When God calls something a sin, it's sin. Everybody said, amen, hallelujah, I like that one. Even if it's a sin you like. It's still sin. When God calls something good, it's always good. Being thankful is good whether you feel like it or not. I get up in the morning. I'm not a morning person. I'm lucky to find the coffee pot to sit there to even try to wake up. I personally think we should have everything we do as a church community at night because I'm just better at that. And those in the morning said, oh, my God, he needs to get saved. I probably do need to get saved. In some areas, for sure. What do we do with these contradictory things? Or where it's true for one and not for another. Now, we we can and should be careful about reading context for a verse or passage. We can and should have a more complete understanding about everything that the Bible says about any given subject. 
we can and should get different perspectives from other people that tell us about different things. Oh, here's, here's my perception of this. Here's my experience with that. We should do all of those things. But what's the thing we're taking home with us? To effectively understand and apply the Bible in our lives, we must be able to consistently hear God's voice. Turn to John chapter 5. Turn. I, I don't know if I'm ever going to not say that. Click on John chapter 5, verse 39. Oh, somebody just held up their Bible. They actually brought a book. It's so awesome. 5, 39, and 40. What if we had a day where everybody needed to bring paper, a book that you actually opened? That'd just be fun for me. I know I'm kind of old school, but there's a few things about old school that aren't too bad. Are we all there yet? I, I don't see very many thumbs moving anymore. John five thirty nine and 40 says this, You diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Jesus said the scriptures are testifying about him, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In these verses, Jesus was speaking to the people that at that time went to church and read the Bible. Hello? He's talking to the people that come every Sunday, sit in church, they read the Bible, they come to church, they do all that kind of stuff. And he's saying to them, you think that's going to do it for you because you read the, ver the verses. And he says, you missed the whole thing. We can come and read the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. We can quote parts of it. We can um, know right where Ezekiel is in the Bible. I don't know where it is. It's like you, you go to the middle and turn left and, and it shows up because it's a really fat book. I can find it, but I don't know exactly where it is. We can do all that stuff. And he says, you can read this and miss the whole thing. Look, they read it more than any of us do. They could quote the whole first five books of the Bible. Can you even imagine quoting numbers? Oh, my God. Deliver me from the hand that persecuteth me. It's like, come on. They knew the Bible, and Jesus said, you guys missed it. Why? Because everything in Scripture points to and talks about Jesus. I don't know how to interpret the entire book that way. But if we're not reading it through the grid of relational connection with Jesus, we're missing the point. Jesus' words, not mine. He said, look at it again. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Those of you who've been around me for very long, we talk about having Bible discussion groups where we sit down and go, what did God say to you? That's how I start the Bible discussion group. Why? Because you have life. The Bible says, Jesus said, you have life because you talk with Jesus through the, what the scriptures say. Being able to quote verses in and of themselves does not connect you with Jesus. And if we're not connected with Jesus, we're not applying the word correctly. Relationship is required in order to get what the book says. Is this going in at all? 
because we don't need to talk about the other issues, the fundamentals of belief or whatever it is we're going to end up talking about if we don't get this. Because we're going to read the book, we'll collect a whack of information, we'll know all kinds of things, we'll be able to quote scripture, we'll be able to share what Rabbi so-and-so said, we'll be able to share what John said, what Ezekiel said, and we won't have necessarily connected with Jesus. Because everything points to him. These are the scriptures that testify about me. You know he was talking about Old Testament when he said that. It isn't even the New Testament, it was the Old Testament. He said, all that stuff points to me. Somehow, we've got to get, in our quiet time, we're not talking about, i got to read a certain amount of stuff, and i got to be able to say, I know exactly what 1 Thessalonians 2.2 says, which I have no idea what it says. If we're not taking it and interacting with Jesus, we're missing the point. If I can't take a verse and make it real to me, Because God says something into my heart, we're missing the point, which is why most people don't read the Bible. We all know we should, but we don't because it's not very interesting. History is interesting for some people. It's not interesting for most people. So most people don't read about history. We don't read the Bible because it doesn't connect with where we live. Or if it does, we don't want it to connect with where we live. I like that sin. I want to keep that one. feels good. What do you mean tithe? I can't live on what I got. How can I live on 90% of what I got? Forgive how many times? I don't think so. Isn't this where we call down fire and banish people to hell or something? I don't want to forgive them anymore. They hurt me. When it's just rules, it doesn't land here. Jesus said, they all speak about me. Which means, if we just have a Bible study, we just read the Bible, if we just go through a study guide or something, and that's all it is to acquire information, to understand about things, we've missed the point. And Jesus says, this will not be life-giving for you. And that's why we don't read the Bible, because it's not life-giving. It's a thing we have to do in order to somehow be qualified. The awesome news is it doesn't have to be that way. That would have been a perfect opportunity. So I'm going to give you another shot. It doesn't have to be that way. Maybe I should have stayed with nothing. Anyway... Look, I'm not saying don't read the Bible. Please read the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Memorize sections of the Bible. Do Bible studies. Talk to people about the Bible. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that's not enough to bring life change to us. Life-giving is connecting with Jesus and saying, Jesus, how do I want you want me to apply that verse? Is that even what you're working on right now? Many of us don't hear from God because we're asking God, saying, tell me why I don't have any more money. And God says, I want to talk to you about the loyalty of your heart. And God is just good enough to say, we're not talking about you getting more money until we deal with the loyalty of your heart. God, what do you want to say to me out of these verses? Whatever verse you're reading. 
If it doesn't work for you, keep on reading. I think I shared it one time when Mary was in the hospital and I'm going along and I go, God, you got to say something to me. So I started with the 23rd Psalm because the 23rd Psalm is like one of my favorite things. It's my go-to place. I can hear from God with it. Nothing. It might as well have been reading the newspaper. Read the 24th Psalm. Nothing. 25, not anything. 26, not anything. And finally I got to 27. God says, here, this is for you today. And it like came alive in my heart. See, I don't read because I've got a quantity of things. If it ain't working for me, I go into something else. Because we've got to have what Jesus is saying through the Bible to us. Because we want to apply it, right? I don't care to be a biblical scholar. I want to be... (laughs) Great, we can just do it together and all these other people can just have studies forever. I love God so much. I am so glad he's not religious. That he can have fun. He laughs at things. I mean, come on. He made giraffes. Anybody who makes giraffes has a sense of humor. Huh? Really? Giraffes. Let's take this horse and stretch its neck out. Like, hey, it's, I just love that we can have fun with that. Joy is a normal part of Christianity. I was probably saying something here. Let me see if I can find in my notes what I was talking about. Memorize all the stuff and everything because the Bible is the inspired actual words of God. It's useful for teaching, correction, training, and rebuke, all that kind of stuff. We know that. But we would be wise to take one step more. If we want the Bible to be most effective in our lives, the most impactful in the things we do and believe, the way we go about living life, we must bring what we have read to Jesus and dialogue with him to say, what do you want to say to me about this verse or this passage or this story? What do you want to say to me? How do you want to apply it? This sounds like a promise. What's keeping me from connecting with this? Why am I not walking in this thing? Where's my joy? Where's my peace? Why am I not getting this thing? We've got to take whatever is in the word and take it to Jesus and say, now apply it to me right now. Because Jesus said himself of the word, it all speaks of me, but you haven't got it yet because you didn't come to me. Most of us are familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Last phrase of the 23rd Psalm is, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. People say that, especially if you read the whole Psalm, you know, you're reading through all that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and all that thing. We get to the last phrase, it's like, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's kind of like, in Jesus' name, amen. We don't even think about it. We just, it's something we put at the end. For an entirely different reason, I was reading or referring to mentally, because I've memorized the whole thing in about three different versions, the 23rd Psalm. I was thinking through it, and I got to the thing, and I said, this phrase. And then I stopped, and I'm going, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's that mean? I don't know, really. 
Do you? I mean, come on, what does it mean to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? So Holy Spirit had, you know, had my attention. So I said, okay, Jesus, what, what are you talking about here? What does this thing mean? Yesterday in our Bible discussion group, we were in Ephesians 2. And verse 19 in Ephesians 2 says that we are citizens of heaven. And God reminded me immediately of, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What is it? And we all just said amen, but wait. What does it mean to be a citizen? What does it mean to be a citizen of Canada? I became a citizen. I'm a citizen of North America. I can vote everywhere except Mexico. But what does it mean to be a citizen of Canada? There's specific rights and privileges that go with it. And if we don't know what they are, we're not going to be able to benefit from them. As a citizen, I get to vote. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I get to participate in the government of heaven. As a citizen, you're going to love this one. I get free health care. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What do we get? Free health care. I, I just want to give, a, give God a, a shout out now. I'm now into my 15th year of not being sick. The benefit of the kingdom is something substantial. It's not some ethereal thing. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what it really means. I'm just going to kind of do that. We'll float on clouds and have wings like angels or something. We don't know. No, no, no. It's very substantial. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I am a citizen of the kingdom. We ended up talking for like, how long did we talk about the rights of citizenship? I think it was like about 15 minutes in this discussion, just looking at different things. And then like, okay, whatever we get as a citizenship in Canada, how much more do we get that same kind of privilege, benefit, and opportunity as citizens of the kingdom? I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Everybody, qualif- everybody here, I hope, is qualified and is now in the kingdom. Because the kingdom started when you said yes to Jesus, not when you die and go to be wherever and whatever heaven looks like. This could get good. If you don't have anything else to do today, go home and think about what it means to be a citizen of Canada. I am afforded protection. If somebody's attacking me, I can call the police. What do you think heaven looks like? You know, I don't know if they send angels, if Holy Spirit just goes, oh, little one, and then they don't pay any attention. I don't know how all that works. But if I'm afforded protection here in Canada, how much more am I afforded protection in the kingdom? Yeah, I mean, if somebody invades our country, I don't have to go out there with, with my, you know, lack of gun that I don't have and, like, Tell them to stop. As a citizen of Canada, 
I'm given a series of laws that are designed to help protect me and keep my life safe. I have full confidence when I get out of here, get into my car and drive in onto the Bayview, I have full confidence that somebody's not going to be driving a big truck on my side of the road because we have laws enacted to keep us safe. What happens in the kingdom? The thou shalt not is not because God is really just wants to make your life miserable. He says, I put all this stuff in to protect you. Okay, I'm going to step on somebody's toes, and I'm real sorry, but I'm not sorry. God said sex goes in marriage, not so you can't have fun if you're not married. Wow, we got really serious in here. God said, don't have sex outside of marriage, not because he doesn't want you to have fun. He said, this is the way to protect something that goes way beyond two people having physical, intimate relationship. This is something that is like how God relates to himself. And so when he says, don't do that, it's not because he's going, I want you to be miserable. He's saying, I want to protect you from damage that happens when you get joined in a way that you don't understand to someone that maybe is never going to be your spouse. All of the thou shalt thoughts, all of the things where he says don't do is for our protection. Just like the rules of the road, the rules of how to do business. I can go into a business and I don't have any, you know, fear that when I get something from the pharmacy, I'm going to get, you know, bad drugs that are going to cause me to be, you know, more, well, I don't get sick, but to cause my wife to get more sick than she already is. I believe they're going to be good. I believe the food I'm going to be buying from the um, the restaurants or the grocery store is going to be okay because there's laws built in. And in the kingdom, they're there from, I can be, I'm protected. What do you have available for you because you're a citizen of the kingdom? All the rights, all the benefits, all the protections, all of the opportunities are available for us because we're citizens. But we find out which things apply because we talk to Jesus. The government doesn't ever consult me about oil pipelines. And even though I was an accountant for an oil company, but they never consult me with that. They talk to the people that are interested in building oil pipelines. God's going to talk to you in the places where you live, the things you're dealing with right now. If we go to the word and say, God, Holy Spirit, lit this up for me. What do you want to say to me? And how do I apply this thing in my life right now? What do you want me to do? What's your vision for the stuff you've called me to? Psalm 23, 6. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Will be different for me for the rest of my life. Because I hear that and I look at it in terms of the rights, the privileges, the protections, and the opportunity of citizenship in the kingdom. When I read about stuff, I'm reading about things that God designed for me 
to become all that he intended me to become. John 5:39 again says this, diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, and yet you refuse to come to me to have life. We are going to be people who read the Bible. Amen? We are going to be people who bring what we have read to Jesus to find out how he wants to apply it to us. Amen? We will be people who demonstrate the kingdom of God wherever we go because we have talked with Jesus about what we have read in the Bible. To effectively understand and apply the Bible in our lives, we have to be able to consistently hear God's voice. Next week, little teaser, I don't do this very often because I rarely know what I'm going to do, but next week, we're going to talk about something that may offend you by just the title I'm going to use. We're going to talk about biblical doubt. God, thanks for letting us be citizens of the kingdom. And I ask that you would help us to see way beyond the things we've lived in so far, that you've got so much more. You've got protections, and you've got opportunities, and you've got blessings, and you've got favor, and you've got all kinds of things in store for us as we just simply take the time to bring what you've said in your word to you and let you apply it to our lives. Thanks so much. Have a fabulous, biblically lively week. Amen? Amen.